Well, I am uh, excited uh, for Aaron and Levi. Man, what we just experienced there and saw together, man, what a special moment, not only to be baptized, but then to uh, have your son jump in as a young mom and to be able to baptize him just as an expression of faith. Man, can we just give them a hand one more time for uh, that? So awesome. So awesome. Hey, if their story is uh, inspiring you to trust Jesus or inspires you to take a step of faith, uh, really simply, we would love for you just to take the text number that you're going to see a couple times today, 720-513-1933, and you can text the word Jesus, and we will help you uh, with that faith story, where you're at, wherever you're at in your faith journey, and uh, get you to this place that you saw Aaron and Levi today. Before we uh, jump into God's word, would you just pray with me um, as we just give thanks to God for that? Father, we come to you today and Lord with excitement and joy. Uh, Lord having experienced uh, Aaron and Levi's story. Lord the, the proclamation of their faith. The excitement to enter into these waters and to watch um, Aaron first be baptized and then for her to turn around and to baptize her son. Oh God it is so such a beautiful picture of what you do in people's lives and what we're about here at Crossroads. And so Lord I just thank you I thank you for uh, allowing us to experience that today as a church and as a family. We uh, give our time to you, Lord, as we open your word. Lord, I pray that you would give us insight into the way that we are to live, Lord, and the way that we are to uh, walk with you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, today we are in uh, our final week of our series, Christianity for the Curious, the Cautious, and the Confused. I just want you to know it took me six weeks to get that uh, title right to the dismay of our creative team. Every week I've come up with different words, but that's the real one, all right? And so uh, today we are wrapping up this series, and this whole series really has been about lifting kind of the religious fog around Christianity so that we can see it as it actually is. And from the very beginning, we've said that this series really is intended for you to have the information that you need to make an informed decision to follow Jesus. That whether you walk in today and you are curious about the faith or you walked in kind of cautiously, maybe someone invited you here today, maybe showed up for the party outside, but you've wandered in here, but you've done so cautiously because of prior church experience or prior church people, or maybe you're just like, uh, you know, you're, you just have a whole ton of questions, like you're just confused about what's going on, whether you're a believer or not. Our whole intention of this series is to peel all of that back so that we can see Jesus as he actually is with the religious fog removed so that we can make a decision of whether to follow him or not. And so if you've been with us uh, through these weeks, we've just tried to walk through topics and questions that would be important uh, in those decisions, in that decision specifically. And so week one, we talked about why Jesus came. And we said, while there's a lot of opinions and uh, probably a lot of answers and very good answers to that of why Jesus came, the reality is, is that when we look at the words of Jesus, Jesus gave us a very specific answer. He said that the reason that he came into this world is so that you and I might know truth, that he came to bear witness to the truth. And in knowing truth, ultimately that truth will set us free, that this is the foundation of our understanding when it comes to Christianity. And then week two, we talked about what Christianity is all about. And we said that, that the truth of Jesus' coming is so that we as people in our everyday lives would have this beautiful hope that Jesus came and his life, his death, and ultimately his resurrection was so that we might come alive, that we would have the ability to flourish in this world. That's the offer on the table of Christianity. 
And then week three, we talked about why Christians believe that the Bible is the source of truth. And while we could walk down like, you know, historical records and textual criticism and all the rest, the reality is it's much more simple for Christians than that. The reason that we believe the Bible is true is because Jesus did. It's that simple that Jesus through his life demonstrated that not only did he affirm the Old Testament as scripture and as truth, but also he lived as if he believed it. And then he commissioned the New Testament to uh, go forward as really writings out of his teachings. And so as Christians, we believe that the Bible is true simply because Jesus did. And then we made a turn in our series and we started talking about really the nature and the character of God. And if you were here that week, you remember what we said is that when it comes to God, God is this big transcendent. God, that, that there's more about, you know, his, there's so much mystery around God, and yet he's absolutely knowable. And we use the illustration of our hand with the circle. You remember this? And we said outside the circle is everything that we cannot comprehend about God, but everything inside the circle is what we can know about God. And not only is there enough there to know about God that will last us a lifetime, but in it is satisfaction in a relationship with him. And then last week, Pastor Chris talked about the nature and character of us humans and the purpose in which we're lived, that we live with, and ultimately our fall and the redemption that is ours in Jesus. And today, we wrap up this series with this question, what is the Christian life? In light of why Jesus came, and the Bible is our source of truth, and what Christianity is about as, the, as we look upon this amazing God and realize who we are, what is this life that we're called to live as God followers? What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to walk with God? That's the question that we're going to attempt to answer today. And in doing so, uh, I figured that when we came here, that there would probably be, you know, a lot of opinions. Like if we were to do a survey in the world of how to answer that question, there would probably be a lot of different answers. And so curiosity, I just sat down this week and I just typed into the Google machine uh, the question, what is the Christian life? And I just picked a random Reddit feed and here's what the answers were on the Reddit post. It was, the first one was this, when it comes to the Christian life, don't be evil. Seems pretty good, right? Number two, you probably heard there's no hate like Christian love. That one stings a bit. In my experience, the Christian life is about judging others, a commitment to self-condemnation. The Christian life is prayer, obedience, and worship. It's about loving a fake God. The Christian life is, is being like Jesus. But obviously, when we just take a quick look at culture, there is a variety of opinions on how to answer this question. And the lack of clarity in these, in these answers is, is a bit discouraging. But man, as a Christian, as a pastor, to look at some of these answers, it is, it's disheartening, isn't it? It's why this question is so important for us to be able to answer, that if we're ever going to truly understand what it is, uh, what Christianity is all about, if we're ever going to understand what it means to follow Jesus, we have to be able to answer the question, what is the Christian life? Like, what does it look like to actually follow Jesus practically in our lives? And so today, as we answer that question, we're going to actually turn to the Old Testament. We're going to turn to the Old Testament, and we're going to look at a passage that has a pretty famous verse in it that's written by a little-known prophet named Micah to the people of 
Israel. And so if you have your Bibles or a Bible app, you can go ahead and pull it out. We're going to be in Micah chapter 6 today. Micah chapter 6. Now, if you got like a paper Bible and you're having a little trouble finding Micah chapter 6, don't worry. Everybody does, right? It's like a super hard book to find, but we'll have it on the screen for you. And when it comes to Micah chapter 6, what we have is the summary statement in all of the Bible of how God wants his people to live. It is the definitive answer to the question that we're answering today, what is the Christian life? Now, as we jump into this today, it's going to feel, as we read through Micah chapter 6, like we're sitting in a courtroom. And the reason that it's going to feel that way is because we are. That in Micah chapter 6, we have been invited to sit in this cosmic court, that we are sitting in the gallery of this courtroom uh, that's like in the center of the universe. That God is bringing charges against Israel, and the charges that he's bringing against Israel is he's accusing them of misrepresenting him to the world. In fact, many of the accusations that he speaks up sounds a lot like the, uh, the Reddit post that we just read. And so God is, is here, and Israel is misrepresenting him. We're in this trial. Micah is the representative. He's like the prosecution for God on this. And so Micah, we jump into the story in chapter 6, where Micah writes these words. He says, hear what the Lord says. Arise, Israel, and plead your case before the jurors. And the jurors are natured, the mountains, and let the hills heal, hear your voice. Now, if you've been with us since the beginning of this series, we said that Christianity is ultimately, primarily a quest for truth. That we're looking for truth, and in the truth we will be set free. And from the very beginning of history, from the very beginning of history, that truth has been on trial. And at the core of the trial is the question, is the question, Uh, When it comes to God, do you believe, do you trust, do you accept that God, the God of the universe, that what he's telling you is reality or not? Do you trust, do you believe, do you accept what God is saying is reality or not? So God begins this trial in chapters 1 through 5. And in chapters 1 through 5, God reminds the Israelites of the reality in which they've been living in. He says, from the very beginning of, of, you know, of when I called you out, from the very beginning, I've walked with you. I've been with you. I've been, I've been everywhere you've been, I've been with you. I've never abandoned you. I've always been faithful. And your response to, to my faithfulness, Israel, is that you've forsaken me. Is that, you, that you've rejected me. You walk around this world as if I don't even exist, that I'm not even here. In fact, as you walk around the people of this world, They wonder who your God actually is. They wonder if your God is actually real. And so God looks out at Israel and he says, that's the reality in which you're walking into. What is your defense? And so Israel begins to give its defense in a series of questions. In Micah chapter 6, 6, they begin with this. It says, with what shall I come before the Lord? and bow myself before the God on high. Now, this is, this, this is oozing with contempt here, all right? This is full of sarcasm. That Israel looks out and goes, okay, good and mighty God, what should I bow with you here with? What should I, what should I give you? If I'm yours and you've been so faithful, what is it that I have to offer you? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with a calf, a year old? I mean, this is just lippy. This is teenage lippy, right? This is like the kind of lippy you just want to doink your kids' eyes out. Not hard, you know, but like, you know, Moe did to Larry, you know. Do it again, teenager, right? Like, this is lippy. 
Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? I mean, this is getting thick. Shall I give my firstborn to you for all of my transgressions, the, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Almighty oh, God of the universe, what is it that you would have from us? What is it that you want from us? After listening to this, Micah looks out to the jury and to the gallery, turns his attention towards Israel and says to him, Oh, Israel, has God not told you? Has God not, not told you what is good? I mean, you can cut the sarcasm. You can, you can drop the attitude. You can stop playing dumb. Has, has God not already told you what is good? I mean, God doesn't need any of that stuff. God's not looking for sacrifices. He's not looking for rams and oil. He's not asking for your firstborn. Has God not only already told you what is good? Here's what I require of you. But to do justice and to love kindness and to, to walk humbly with your God. Now, to understand this verse we need to go all the way back to the beginning pages of Scripture. And in the very beginning, as we saw last week, humanity is created uniquely, that we are different than all the other creatures of the universe, namely because we have been created in the image of God, that we have his likeness, his image dwelling within us, that we are image bearers of his. Now, we could spend weeks, probably even months, going through all that surrounds the image of God and, and to try to get a full understanding of what it means to be image bearers of God. But for today's conversation, I want to focus in on two. The first one, primarily, when it comes to being an image bearer of God, means that we represent God and we rule this earth according to good and evil as he has defined good and evil. That we are representatives of God and we rule this world's with good and evil, according to what God says is good and evil. That's, that's one way of what it means to be image bearers of God. The second, in light of our conversation today, is that every single human, every single person that you've ever seen in this world is equal before God. And therefore, as image bearers are to be treated with equality and fairness and generosity in their lives. See, now, when we think about this, we think, man, this sounds really good, doesn't it? Like, like, this would be the kind of world that I want to live in. But the truth of the reality is that when we look out at our world, this isn't how we experience our world, is it? And the reason for that, at least according to the Bible, is because of our sin. See, when, because of our sin, humanity is constantly redefining good and evil for the benefit of ourselves and at the expense of others. That through the history of humanity, we can all see this, through the history of humanity, that people have come along and they constantly redefine good and evil at the expense of others. And so, we open up the pages of scripture and we see that this begins to happen, not just at like a personal level or a family level, but, but this sin is like affecting entire cultures and entire civilizations. And so we start reading in the pages of Scripture in Genesis chapter 3, and pretty quickly we realize that humanity is a hot mess, isn't it? I mean, it's just, a, it's just a complete mess all the time. And God looks out of the world, and he goes to this man named Abraham, and he says, Abraham, like, I'm going to start, I'm going I'm to start a new, a new community through you. 
that I'm going to give you a family, and this family is going to become a nation. We're going to call it Israel, and through this new community, people are going to know who I am as God. They're going to know that, that I walk with you and that you walk with me, that we're in this together, and they're going to know this because you're righteous, because you're righteous. Now, here's the rub for us. When we think of the word righteous, oftentimes we put it kind of in the category of like private morality, like don't kill, don't steal, don't cheat, which it is. But in the Bible, it's also bigger than that. See, when we read the word righteous in the Bible, what righteousness is, is the ethical standard of living to right relationship between people. It's where we, where we right the relationships between people. That's, that's righteousness. It's where we operate in, in every relationship that we have with fairness and, and generosity and, and equity. In other words, it's about treating people as image bearers of God with the dignity that they deserve. That's righteousness. So we get to the New Testament. And we come to the teachings of Jesus, like in um, the Sermon on the Mount, where a lot of this kind of unfolds for us. It's his most famous sermon that he ever gave. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus looks out at the, the hillside with all the people piled on, mostly, mostly people from Israel. They're all piled here. And he looks out at them and he says, blessed are you who are persecuted for your righteousness. He's not just talking about private morality there. He's talking about, you know, this, this movement to right relationship between people. And we know that because he starts to define it for us. He says, you think, you're, you think you're righteous because you haven't killed anybody. I tell you, if you have anger in your hearts, judgment's already on you. He looks at the guys on the, on the hillside and he says, men, you think you're doing well because you're not sleeping around, you haven't cheated on your wife, you know? You think you're, you think you're good? You think you're righteous? Well, I tell you the truth that any one of you who's looked lustfully at a woman with his eyes has already committed adultery in his heart. He says, you think you're good, you think you're righteous because you're not talking bad about your neighbor who you dislike. But I tell you that when it comes to that enemy, you're not only to pray for them, but you're also to love them. I mean, throughout all of Jesus' uh, teachings, at the very core of his teachings was this understanding that his people, that his followers would walk with righteousness, not just this private morality, but this movement to make right relationship between people. So all the way back to Micah 6.8. From the very beginning, humanity is this hot mess. We can see it. People constantly redefining good and evil for their own interest at the expense of others. And God comes on the scene and he says, look, we're going to do it differently. My people, they're going to they're do it different. He says, my people, they're going to they're gonna be righteous. They're going to walk humbly with me. And as they walk humbly with, with me, they're going to be attentive to the things that I love, to the things that I desire, which as Micah points out for us is doing justice and loving kindness. Now, for us, there's a little bit of tension in that, isn't there? Because when we think of these two words of justice and kindness, we put them kind of in opposite spaces. Like, like justice lives over here, kindness is over here. But, but in the Bible, they're not. In the Bible, justice and kindness, they intermingle. They, they come together. And so let's just talk about the word kindness. The word kindness comes from the Hebrew word kasad, which is really translated God's mercy. God's mercy, this, this you know, unconditional compassion that God has. 
that as we read through the scriptures, we run across this truth time and time again that we were dead in our sins, that because of our trespasses that we experience death in this life. But God, because of his mercies, we are made alive in Jesus. The unconditional compassion of God is what, is what saves us. It's what saves us. It's out of that mercy that we are to live. The Apostle Paul explains it in Romans chapter 15. He explains to us the purpose of life, of mission of God, is to glorify his mercy. He says this, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness. In order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might be glorified, might glorify God for his mercy. All right, so get this. Like, Jesus comes as a servant to the circumcised. That just means he came as a Jew so that you and I might know truth. And in doing so, he fulfills the promises of the patriarchs. That's when God came to Abraham and said, hey, Abraham, we're going to start something new. We're going to do this new community. Jesus is the fulfillment of that so that the Gentiles, that's all the non-Jewish people, that's all the rest of us, might glorify God for his mercy. That God sent his son into this world so that the nations of the world might glorify and give him praise for his mercy. Listen to this. This is the reason you exist. That you exist to make people amazed at the mercy of God. You don't have to wonder what your purpose is. You don't have to walk around going, man, why, do I even, why am I even on this earth? Like, is there any purpose in this life? Yes, unequivocally, the Bible answer is yes, that you exist to make people amazed at the mercy of God. That you are to live your life in such a way, Christian, that as you're walking through this life, that people can only come to one conclusion, that you have a merciful God that he treated you better than you deserve, that he continues to treat you better than you deserve. And out of that truth, that you organize your life in such a way that you become a merciful person, that all of life is designed so that we and the people that we interact with would be amazed at the glory of God. That it's God's glory that is the goal of this life. It was the goal of Israel. It's the goal of Christianity. It was the goal of God that he might receive praise and glory for his mercy. It's why God so hacked off in Micah chapter 6. Because the people of Israel, they weren't living in such a way that people looked upon them and said, you know what? They have a merciful God. No. People watched Israel and they go, man, they're a bunch of judgmental people, aren't they? Man, no love like, no hate like Israel's love. Man, is their God even real? I mean, they're totally misrepresenting God to the world where people are even questioning who God is. I mean, it's what makes those answers so heartbreaking today. It's this idea of mercy that permeates one of the one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible, Romans chapter 12. I mean, Paul sits down and, and he begins to write and he starts this beautiful chapter with, I appeal to you therefore by the mercies of God. And then he begins to, to show us what our lives are to look like out of Romans chapter 12, the one who does acts of mercy. Let love be genuine in your life. Contribute to the needs of the saint. Bless those who persecute you. Weep with those who weep. 
He says, I want you to, to associate with the lowly and the vulnerable. Repay no one evil for evil. Never avenge yourselves. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. That your entire life should be characterized by mercy so that when people see you, they are in awe. I mean, they're slack-jawed at the mercy of God. And so if we're understanding Micah 6.8 correctly here, we see that from the very beginning, humanity is this hot mess, constantly redefining good and evil at the expense of others. And God says, we're, we're going to do this different. We're going to look different. We're going to live out righteousness. And the way that we're going to do that is by walking humbly with God, by loving kindness, by loving mercy. That's the motivation. That's the driver. That's the why. And that motivation then leads us to action. And the action of the merciful is justice. It's justice. That followers of God are to do justice. Solomon, the wisest man who ever walked on this earth, wrote this proverb in Proverbs 28, verse 5. He said, evil man do not understand justice. But those who seek the Lord understand it, and they understand it completely. How does that feel? Those who do not know God do not know justice, but those who know God know justice, and don't just know justice, but know it completely. Like, how does that sit on you, Christian? Like, like did Solomon, the wisest man in the world, did he get wrong? See, right here, as Christians, for the Christians in the room, we, we have to be careful. Because the Bible's saying we don't understand justice completely because we're the smartest or most educated or the most holy. That's not what's going on here. He's saying that we understand justice because our faith is tethered to the one who is justice. That our faith is tethered to the one who loves justice and seeks justice and calls us to justice. To find God and seek God is to find and seek justice. That's what Solomon's, what Solomon's saying here. See, when the word justice shows up in the Bible, oftentimes the understanding that comes with it is this like restorative justice to make right the relationships in this world. We see this throughout the Old Testament and in the Old Testament prophets, Zechariah chapter seven, he writes these words. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, that's justice, render justice in this world. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow. He says, you want to know what it looks like to do justice and to, and to operate out of mercy? Don't oppress the widow. Don't oppress the fatherless or the sojourner or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your hearts. Zechariah says the same thing as Micah. He says, we, we come together and we are to, to do this justice. We are to, we are to love mercy and in doing so, he, he names four groups of people in Israel. He names the widow, the orphan, the traveler through the country, and the poor. Now, the reason that, that Zechariah picked those four is because in Israel's culture, those were the least of these. Like, like these were literally the most vulnerable. And what, what Zechariah is trying to communicate to us here is that the justness of a culture, at least according to the Bible, the justness of a culture is evaluated by how it treats the least of these. 
How does it, how, how are you treating these people? Are you treating them with fairness and equality? Are you living with generosity in their lives? Like, like, is this what's going on? Are you treating them as image bearers? Because here's the consequence, that when we refuse to treat people as image bearers of God, when we refuse to give dignity to those who are image bearers of God, in Bible terms, it's not just a lack of mercy, but a violation of justice. It's not right. It's not justice. And so back to Micah 6.8. From the very beginning, we see that humanity is this hot mess, redefining good and evil at the expense of others. And God says, my people, they're going to be different. They're going to be righteous. In their humility, motivated by mercy, they will relentlessly work, relentlessly work to restore relationship between God and people and others in their life when it comes to this world. That's the picture of the Christian life. We turn to the New Testament And we see that Jesus so beautifully embodies this picture of how we're supposed to live by loving mercy and doing justice. That the greatest and most beautiful picture of justice and mercy being lived out in any society that any person has ever seen is at the cross of Jesus. That at the cross of Jesus, God's justice is done, his mercy is revealed, and through it, we are made whole with God. And God turns around, and he looks at those of us who are Christians, and he goes, now go live that out. In the same way that you've seen it modeled in my life, go out. Go love mercy, do justice, And as those two things work together, lead people to a place where they are reconciled with me. That's what the Christian life is all about. I want to give you a few moments of quiet. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never been right in relationship with God, I want to give you an opportunity. We're going to put a prayer up on the screen. You can just pray that prayer in the quietness of your hearts. For those of us who are believers, take these few moments just to evaluate your life. Where are you at when it comes to to walking humbly with God, doing justice and loving mercy in a way that people are amazed at the God you love? You can bow your heads. Father, I pray, Lord, today, for those in this room, for those who are watching online who are not in right relationship with you. Lord, the very reason that they're watching today is because inherently they know that something is amiss in their lives. They can feel it when they wake up in the middle of the night. They ask the question in their heart, God, are you and me, are we good? 
And so today, Lord, I pray that the religious fog would be removed and that the beauty of a relationship with you would be revealed. That at the cross, your justice and mercy came together and through your cross, we are reconciled with you. God, I pray for for those today who are wrestling with that truth in your heart that you would make it more real to them right now than anything has ever been in their lives. And Father, I pray for those of us who are believers, who call Crossroads home. Lord, that when people look upon us, Lord, that they cannot come to any other conclusion than that you are a merciful God. And Lord, I pray that that would drive us to action. That we would love the community that you have placed us in. That you would that we would love the people that you that you bring us into presence with, Lord, whether it be in this building, whether it be in our families, in our neighborhoods, at our work, where the people would know you, that they would be in awe of you, that they would give you praise because we're there. God, help us live that kind of life. Lord, we pray that in your powerful son's name, the name of Jesus, amen. If today, if you want to take steps in trusting Jesus as your Savior, again, you can just text the word Jesus to 720-513-1933. As a church, every week we celebrate communion and we remind ourselves of where God's justice and mercy came together, where Jesus' body was broken for our sin, where his blood was poured out so that we might have life reconciled with God forever. And so today as a church, as a body, as a family, we remember by eating together. And we drink knowing that Jesus' blood is our forgiveness. In a few moments, we're gonna sing of the glories of God together. And if during this time at any point, Uh, we do not consider it an inconvenience for you to need prayer. And so at any point, you can make your way over to the banner. We'd love to pray for you online. You can click the button, but I'm gonna ask you to stand if you're in house as we sing to the glory of God today.